0: as well as the founder of OneBestConsult.com. I want to thank you for joining us today. We have a very special show uh, for you today, and we're going to get started on it just shortly. But I want to thank you for also being a supporter of the station. We continue to have people from not only here in Conroe, where we broadcast from the studios of Lone Star Community Radio, but people from Montgomery County beyond. And now we have regular listeners in different countries around the world. So we're growing, we, en- we enjoy this opportunity. We're thrilled to be here to serve you and we hope you will join our community. Uh, it's real simple to do, it doesn't cost you anything. Just listen to our show each week, Monday 11 to 12, or on video podcast available each Wednesday after the show. They're all right there, many places to uh, check in on it. You can go to the website of Lone Star Community Radio at IRLoneStar.com. You can go to Facebook. You can go to YouTube. We have a page for the Weekly Business Hour. And all our shows are there for at least the last year or two, so please Refer us to your friends, friends that are in business, who would enjoy the opportunity to participate in business conversations that hopefully, one, are educational, two, they bring information to you that you can act on, that you can use in your business. That's very important to us. We try to be on time, we try to deliver content is real, and it's pertinent in today's world. And boy, that's a changing world. We're gonna be talking uh, about that somewhat uh, with our special guest. And let's start the show off officially today with a quick thought. I've got a quick thought. You know, I I try in my work with small businesses, and I'm a big advocate, that we, we need to break the mold. We need to go outside that box, get out of that comfort level. We've all heard those kind of expressions. Most of us have probably felt that pain of trying to do so. Well, one of the things that's happening in the world right now, I encourage you to step out and at least dip your toe in the pool, if you will. And that's artificial intelligence. That's AI, as it's called. You can't pick up a current business publication, newspaper, Wall Street Journal, uh, business magazines, without just bumping into AI, 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 the threats, this and that, the complications. Will it take over the world? Let's get past that. Let's talk about what it might be able to do for you today in your small business. And believe it or not, one of the the most respected business publications in the world, the Harvard Business Review touched on AI for small businesses back in March. I encourage you to go look up and read the entire article, but they pointed out several areas that it can help you, even the smallest business right now, today. First of all, they call it customer experience. I call it more customer service. There's a lot of AI programs out there that are very simple to use where you can enhance your processing. If you process orders, say, online, turn around the orders quicker. No more do people accept that they put an order in with you and six weeks later it's delivered to them. you got to do it almost overnight, or at least in the same week, if you will. And AI can help you do that. So I encourage you to look at that. Automate your customer inquiries, the returns of products, make it as simple as possible for your customer, make it seamless, make it easy. The second area, and this is the one I I sort of respond to, is marketing. There's all kinds of AI software out there that can help you in your small business marketing. At the very least, it can help you develop a better message, better content. I write quite a bit and I find myself now, I've taken on a program called Grammarly and learned it, and I'm a little a little tough. Uh, that's, it's hard for me to, to learn new tricks as an old dog, so to speak, but I challenge myself. This is a very simple program. It's not heavy-duty AI at all, but it has enhanced my writing. In fact, it challenged me. I feel I'm better because I'm challenged by it to write a better phrase, and I think it can help you. You don't have to go to a deep dive. Just dip your toe in the pool. And the third area is that content is the idea that you can come up with new and different content that you can even segment. You can respond to the various customer segments that you have. Most businesses, in fact, 99.9%, I'd be willing to guess, have at least two or more segments of customers that they work with, that they deliver services to or that they sell products to and your ability to take that one unified message that you've always delivered because it was just the best you could do or the best you could farm out third party to get done and to be able to split it and make it a little more focused, that'll generate more activity, more interest, and ultimately more sales, and it should generate more profits as well. So dip your toe in that pool of AI. Don't be afraid and don't think you're gonna drown. You can always back up and stand on the beach and be one of those late, late, late people to the party, late adapters instead of an early adapter. But I want you to be an adapter who profits from sticking yourself out there, moving outside your comfort zone. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the weekly business hires where Montgomery County now and businesses throughout the world come to talk about the latest in business news, ideas to improve their business, and be part of conversations that can make a real difference. And in line with that today, we have a very special guest who's returning to us. He's a great friend of the station. He's been on the show a number of times, Uh, Mr. Hank Moore. And I wanna welcome Hank. You know, Hank, every time I uh, do a program with you and I look at your biography, I don't know where to start or stop. I mean, it's lengthy, Uh, but I wrote a little piece earlier today uh, that we were using in publication of the show and this is how i sum it up in two or three sentences. hank is a renowned speaker author and corporate strategist the last five business books he has written have all been nominated for pulitzer prizes he brings his big picture view to the table to help any business navigate the challenges of an ever-changing world welcome hank thanks for coming back to the show
1: it's great to be back and especially in in the new studio and I'm, I'm so proud of how this uh, radio station has grown and will continue to.
0: Well, and you and I both have a passion for community radio, and that's what it is. It's all about the community having a place to gather, if you will, yeah. over the airwaves and listen and help. And I'm very proud of the station. They've got over 20 programs that are all led by people from the community all walks of life, backgrounds, talking about all kinds of different subjects of interest that people can use, they can listen to for entertainment. So I love community radio.
1: Well, I, I started my career in it, and, and I learned a lot of things that were applicable to business. Uh, I mean, at, as you know, I started working in a, in a community radio station when I was 10 years old and i wanted to be a disc jockey the biggest name in broadcasting at the time was dick clark with his tv show american bandstand and for you know the next 50 years he was one of the most influential people in music but when i started working at the radio station one of my mentors i mean just to not to not to get stuck in the past but it seems appropriate to what we're talking about right here uh, the owner of the radio station, as you know, Lady Bird Johnson, what this was up in Austin, was my was my mentor for many, many years, for 50 or more. And I had another mentor at the time named Bill Moyers, who most people know from all those years on PBS, you know, but he was really young at one time. He was 24 and I was 10, and he said to me, if you can't take the dirtiest job uh, and and do it better than anyone else. You'll never you'll never be management. Being a worker bee was never an option. And that's what my friends in in small business are. You know, they wear about ten hats every day, and they get really good at eight of them, which is seven and a half hats more than the average corporate mid manager ever gets good at but anyway he said if you can't take that dirtiest job and you champion it and you love it and the dirtiest job uh, some people thought i learned not to think that way was interfacing with the community because commercial broadcasting at that time was heavily regulated i wish it still was because they would be doing more in the community service but that's another subject and I have testified on that subject before Congress uh, w- the first time I got boozed the second time I got a standing ovation anyway uh, he said if you got to do the dirtiest job and in the days of regulated radio being the public service director and I haven't really talked about that aspect of my career on 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 this show, before but being the public service means you had to talk to the nonprofits you had to ask them we had, we were required in those days to do what was called community ascertainment and you would you would ascertain what the problems and the challenges in the community were and then you worked together to talk about how you could address them And that you would tailor your public service announcements, your public affairs programming. And, and, and though the bulk of the radio station was to sell advertising and make money, uh, and entertain people, there was a community service, uh, part of it. And so I found myself going over into distinct neighborhoods in the community. Some of them we would call underserved and, uh, uh, which is what East Austin was at the time, very underserved. And we'd ask them, what are some of the challenges? And and they would give us that information. We would then write that up, provide it to the Federal Communications Commission, not only as our plan of action, our strategic plan of how the community was going to move forward. You know, the plan never talked about what hit records you played and, and what quotas of advertising you sold. It talked about what you could do for the community. Uh, would that commercial broadcasting was like that. And that's why with public radio, uh, it's so important. And community radio is that service arm, is, was, always will be. And uh, so it's just... You know, it, it, it's, talking to people gives you a chance to build relationships that do turn out to benefit the entertainment programming. And it's, it's just very, very important. I have been saying for 50 years to businesses, what if you did the same kinds of things? What if you did community ascertainment? Talking about business recovery since COVID, I advise businesses all the time to reconnect with their customers send them a letter talking about how the company has has sometimes struggled often innovated to recover from covid and and move forward and get their input and and if that happened more and more number 1 it's a good way to market the company by asking your community for ideas and understanding and support, and that gets you referrals, and it just, it, it's, it, it helps all the way around. You know, none of us are in business to give away all of our time and all of our resources, but serving communities is an important way to keep the business, to grow the business, and to pass it on to the next generation.
0: You know, you make an outstanding point, obviously, and uh, I'm sitting here listening to you, and we've talked on this subject before. And in my mind, I, I, I think about the small businesses I've worked with, the small businesses around America, and the fact that many of them are, I don't know what the right word, too shy. They don't think it's worth the effort. They won't, again, step out of their comfort zone, reach out to their local community, even if they sell their products and services in a wide area across the country now with online sales. Uh, it just it can make a huge, huge difference to your your business, to the people who work for you, as well mm-hmm. as the community those people live in, and you as the owner probably live in as well. Yeah. And it's it's just it's an it's just a win-win-win-win. Uh, It just is.
1: It is. And, and, you know, research tells us, for example, that your employees are one of those constituencies that benefit the most. I mean, just the the simple act of employees wearing the company's logo on their T-shirt in a fun run on a weekend – It will improve their productivity threefold and their loyalty threefold. And one of the issues that really came up for business during COVID was what about employee loyalty? I mean, businesses with loyal employees uh, had a lot of them coming back, even if they had to let them go and not pay them, because uh, uh, up to 72 percent of companies had to let companies had to furlough. Employees and the loyal ones, particularly the ones that had joined the community, uh, the company, and serving communities, they came back and they came back happier than ever. And 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 there's there's so much that I mean I've written about all this in in my book series. Uh, I mean my, my entire book, nonprofit legends, was about this subject. But 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 even when you talk about corporate philanthropy. And, and like I said many times, no business is in business to give it all away. But when you do donate, give, inspire to give, others to give back, ask your customers to join you in a community uh, cause, uh, such as supporting community radio, which stays on. Believe me, PBS does that. And NPR, believe me, they do that. Uh, and uh, and I wrote about them in, in, in one of my books. But... but the, the more people see you giving makes them want to do business and never even consider leaving you for someone across the street.
0: Yeah, it it, it is. It, it becomes part of that glue that holds things together. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've already come to the time for our first break. Boy, time's just blowing past us, as it always does in a wonderful conversation. Uh, we're going to take a break now, and I hope you'll stay with us. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Hank a little more in depth about post-COVID since it was only, what, 10 days, two weeks ago, the government announced that we had left COVID behind. So uh, we'll be right back and talk about its impact, potential impact on your business going forward. So please stay with us.
1: Broadcasting 24 7 from the heart of downtown Conroe, Texas. An estimated one in 10 births will result in a neonatal intensive care stay, also known as the NICU. Overnight, a family can find themselves and their newborn baby in a critical situation. The Mila Foundation financially and spiritually assists families in need. If you would like to volunteer or become a monthly sponsor, please visit us at www.themilafoundation.org. Again, that's www.themilafoundation.org, because every life matters.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Weekly Business Hour. I'm Rick Schisler. I'm your host, and our special guest today is Mr. Hank Moore. And we've been visiting about the impact of community involvement for you and your businesses to be involved in the community and the fact that the payback is immense Uh, so there's a big big encouragement on the air today for you and your business to go out and get involved in the community well Hank when we went to break we you had just taken us into COVID and post COVID now that Mm -hmm. that the administration has declared that COVID is under control whatever that means Uh, for the sake of going forward though in businesses uh, as I think you alluded to some businesses reacted to covid they did the right things they took a positive path and they've come out the other end if you will in great shape others maybe not so much i still bump into businesses today that are still struggling uh from covid as far as the Mm -hmm. long-term impact on their company what do you see out there now
1: we have had uh you know we've had different crises in business over the years. And the characteristics that that businesses that move forward and succeed are that they have flexibility, that they communicate with their stakeholders often, and that's, that's an issue. Uh, they've got social responsibility, what we just talked about. They've got customer service. Uh, I have been concerned for 40 years that customer service keeps getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. I advocate something called customer focused management, which means every business decision is couched in customer service terms. How do we keep customers? How do we attract them? How do we roll up books of business of customers? And then some of the other things that companies, as you said earlier, uh, adaptability, they had to learn to do during COVID, um, and then overcoming obstacles from a planning standpoint, those of us who advise businesses. And by the way, only a minor portion of a percent of most business uh, consultants, you know, only 2% of all consultants really are true advisors. The rest of them are vendors that are selling But that's another story, Uh, what they have to sell, not necessarily what the customers need. I have seen businesses through different down cycles. That included the dot-com bust, that included after 9-11, after the uh, 2008 to 2010 recession, and then with COVID. In my professional opinion, and it's a terrible thing to say, but it's true, and I sincerely believe it, is 25% of those businesses that went under during COVID probably should have anyway. They weren't ready for what was next. They never were, you know, uh, only, and I've I've used this statistic on this show many times, only 2% of the businesses in the world have a plan, a real plan where they're going, how they're going to get there, how they're going to measure success once they've been there, and how they chart the next area of growth. And what's really interesting is that some of the other issues that happened during COVID other than the usual burying one's head in the sand or thinking, you know, and I wrote a book about all this, that was called the high cost of doing nothing. And it was, you know, businesses thinking, Oh, let's just do what always worked. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And all of those other silly excuses that they give. Um, What happened is, Uh, small businesses, families, whether they were involved with the business before COVID, they darn sure are now. Second and third generations jumped in, including uh, young people, you know, Generation Z, that was Generation Z's. uh, And, and, you know, we have six generations in America, and they're all working in some form of business right now. Uh, Generation Z uh, would be people born Uh, from the year 2003 through 2021. So we're already in the next generation. We just don't have a name for it yet. But that's, you know, to be determined. But what was happening was businesses, when COVID started, you know they didn't necessarily pick up books by me and other people if they'd wanted to they could have read uh, a chapter that i did about what we should have learned from the great depression from world wars from inflation from all of that and and the common thread is people didn't read because they didn't think it was going to happen to them again if ever you know this can't happen here and uh, these these businesses were suddenly, when you're down and you've been really, some of them counted out, they got to, and we both know businesses that felt like they were counted out, and COVID was their opportunity to rethink, retrench, regrow, and they did it. God bless them, they did it. And some of them had skilled advisors like you and me. A lot of them didn't. You know, one of the things we had to learn, and I, I did, and, and I was uh, putting a, a couple of my business to, books together during COVID along with the new book, which we'll talk about in a minute, a few minutes, the pop music legends. And what was happening was, they realize they just can't do it the way the company founder did it. They can't do it the way they did it or think they did it. Biggest problem in business, several, in smaller business, I love small business. I've worked with 100 of the Fortune 500 companies. I've worked with hundreds, thousands of small businesses. Love small businesses. They can be anything that they want while those bigger corporations are stuck in bureaucracies. But the bigger companies are having to think that happened during COVID, think more entrepreneurially, think more like small business would. Um, I, I wrote in an earlier book about all of that when I wrote about Hollywood, How when the big Hollywood studios were having all kinds of problems uh, and, and had gotten stuck in the past, they started thinking like independent filmmakers And that's when everything in Hollywood and everything changed and grew. And uh, so there's great opportunities out there to just rethink. The best takeaway I would give today is talk. Get a real advisor to meet with you. Many of, as we know, a lot of our friends in Silver Foxes and their other great advisors, just make sure whoever advises you is not somebody's website on the internet. People get the wrong information, misinformation, disinformation, no information. That's the biggest threat, and it came to a head during COVID. No one had ever gotten information from any source. So then they go, where do I move next? You know, what do I do? Um, I do something called an institutional review. People go, oh, you've worked with these big companies. You wouldn't come in and meet with me one time. Yeah, someone's got to say, look at the good as well as the bad. I think you will find that the good and the, the great opportunities offset the troubles Three to one, four to one, five to one. You know, they offset the bad. But a lot of times they think they need to have one piece of the business fixed rather than acknowledging – that there's any kind of a big picture there has to be a big picture and it. this is not a big and you mentioned Harvard um, review, business review earlier I, actually I just got inducted into one of their halls of fame because I've been writing for them for 25 years many of these book chapters were originally tested in white papers on Harvard business review and that was, that was a spinoff of when I met Peter Drucker in the 1990s uh, getting referred to them but anyway what what happens is you you learn you share with other people and you grow and independent assessments don't have to be the end of the world they ha- they can and usually are the beginning of oh really if i change this this and this then it'll have positive effects on that that and that and and niche consultants don't always discuss that with them, but it's important that they have a real live advisor. That's one thing that's so important from every downturn. I mean, I, I was working with a ton of tech companies after the dot-com bust once once the business world said, let's get real about technology. Let's really talk about, and that's how I got involved with Hewlett Packard and some of the big guys. Strategy can come sometimes when the market forces you to get it
0: well a couple comments uh that i think are interesting based on some uh what you just said uh you mentioned hollywood and they had to reinvent themselves and look at different ways of doing business to stay successful well and and i mentioned hollywood because all of us can read or see in the news whatever always some hollywood this that whatever well the big thing i see and and has been coming uh like a a quiet but very powerful avalanche is the shifts in Hollywood now and everything I've read on Hollywood the last 30 days is how the studios, the Netflix, the whatever, are having to cut expenses because they went out and created a lot of very expensive content and, and their avenues of distribution and marketing. Of course, we know what happened to theaters and so they're having another another revelation of, uh, you know, we've got to make some changes. And of course, the accountants are in charge now. Let's cut the expenses. But I'm I'm anxious Mm -hmm. to see how they reinvent. Point being is, this happens every day around us in different industries in different times. Absolutely. Big tech, look right now, they've been under attack, uh, antitrust the government, and this, and they are in the process of having to Reinvent themselves,
1: and so, and a lot of them are going to come to the conclusion, and I predicted, it, and it's going to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. The more that they can self-regulate and self-rein in uh, the bad guys from the industry, uh, this whole other series of stories. Uh, I, I, ha- I think a lot of our problems stemmed from deregulation of certain industries many years ago, notably airlines and trucking. But that's, that's another subject. Uh, it, it's, it, the more you think about, because the entertainment industry, talking about that, that people go, oh, you're a business guru. You just wrote a book about music. Yeah, it's my seventh Pulitzer Prize-nominated nom- book. Uh, the music industry is one of the top 10 business sectors in the world and hollywood is one of another ones the the entertainment industry occupies two of those top 10 along with the oil industry and healthcare and you know the usuals that you would think would be in the top 10 and what the entertainment industry what hollywood had to learn and i and i wrote about you know the current writers strike it was created by the networks and the studios so they could buy less product it was not it can't be blamed on the writers, and but that's you know. What has They're happened have
0: to reinvent themselves from <laughs> what I read?
1: I think you'll find a lot more of them moving to Canada. I have a, a chapter in, in one of one of my books called Hollywood North, and that's what the Canadian film industry is. And the Canadians saw a lot of the squabbling. Like again, this this was in one of my other books. The biggest problem with 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 the entertainment industries is the suits in the corporate offices in New York don't like the creative type on the west coast and they fight and they find ways of cutting and and one of the ways of cutting is to order less episodes of episodic dramatic tv and filling up the airwaves with those stupid game shows that are cheap to produce and those so-called reality shows and uh but what then was created all the the prominent entertainment drama shows went to cable and went to uh, you know apple and all of the others you know it's just but with more and more and more streaming services there's a bigger need for product which you know, and, and 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 creatively, but that has been a boom to the Canadian film industry for the last 30 years while the New York establishment fought with the Hollywood studios, fought the unions tooth and nail. And that's why Hollywood North is one of the most dynamic filmmakers in the world now. And they've been that way for the last 30, 40 years. And you look at all these cable shows, Hallmark and all of them – all of that's filmed in Canada now.
0: Right. And, and I guess back to my original point, uh, I'm sitting here, I'm a small business guy and say, well, I don't have to reinvent myself, my industry, this and that. Well, just, it doesn't mean you have to do it today, but it's going to happen because business in general has to reinvent. That's what a recession does. That's what a pandemic does. Yeah. It causes everybody, or at least they should, look in the mirror, look in their crystal ball, or as you more... Appropriately said, find yourself a good advisor and take a look at your business and your prospects and where you want to go. It makes all the difference in the world. But reinvention is going on around us, on around us all the time. We just touched on Hollywood and tech, but there are other industries that are out there, big, small, medium size, that are all in a process of having to reinvent themselves in order to stay relevant and Mm -hmm. stay competitive uh it's it's very very interesting to me that this is this is all going on
1: according to harvard business school research and i believe very strongly in their research and others uh is 71% of of human beings and organizations change at the rate already of 71% per year now the question i would pose is is the change for the good or the change for the bad those companies that and the heads of companies and, and rank and file in the companies that change for the good are going to be head and shoulders over the others. So a lot of times we really need to look at how people are around us are refusing to change, and those are our greatest ideas for improvement and growth. stealing ideas and adapting ideas from the other guys who are not doing too well.
0: It's absolutely uh, it's, it's to me' it's, it's part of that old adage about you know, making, uh, hey, why the sun uh, shines and, and whatnot, but when you've got these opportunities, when yeah. these changes are happening or need to happen, and the individual with their business, the businesses that step up and seize those opportunities uh, that have the cash in the bank so they can buy a competitor who suffers and no longer can maintain themselves. So uh, that that comes into play, and that's in play every day, I contend. And but when we have the pandemic, uh COVID, uh, you know, it's it people fall out all over the place for various mm-hmm. reasons. I know businesses that are still stuck in the mud trying to figure out what are they gonna do if it happens again and they're still churning. They won't make decisions, they they keep trying to reframe what it might look like. And you and I both know there are some great writers out there writing articles and publishing papers about, well, next time it'll kill half the world. and yeah, just, It never stops. So That's the right. what-ifs need to stop, and you need to put that plan together, and you need to put it there and review it on a regular basis. But you got to mm-hmm. keep moving your company forward.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and, and reviewing it a regular basis could mean twice a year. Just have that independent advisor come in and say, where are we going next? I've had a lot of companies in the past – Uh, they'll they'll in fact one of the biggest banks in the world one time called me and they said "Uh, we didn't know about you two three years ago when we were designing our strategic plan would you look at it and tell us what you think of it so I did that was that was my first assignment this was a major bank (laughs) out of the west coast and they said Uh, I said, well, I agree with about 85%. of. Oh, really? Well, what about the other 15? Is there something you want us to change? I said, no, you need to change, not because I say so, but but if you do this. And they said, do you believe in this good enough to sell it to our management? In other words, we bring you in to sell the plan and recommend some addendums, but but in such a way as you weren't involved in the stench and sometimes strategic planning, you know, loves to scapegoat people, uh, of of the process. You know, when I some of the strategic planning things I've done, we had to wage year long campaigns in the company to build support, you know, and I used to tell the clients, and this is big companies like Baker Hughes, I said, uh Treat this like a United Way campaign. You got a slogan, you got a marketing strategy, you got to sell to bring in more people. You know, because research, Harvard Business Research tells us 10% of the supporters of any great idea, 10% are with you from the get-go. Another 10% will never be with you. The, the art and the skill of building constituencies and to use another term, building community is what do you do about that other 80 percent? How do you hasten getting bigger percentages to get you over the 50 percent quicker rather than later? And that's just that that's how you do it. So statistics are not just, you know, in books and not and to be scaring people off. It's what you do with them.
0: Right. It's, it's got practical use. I, I learned that back in my college days. Uh, one of the best classes I ever took was statistics, and people are going, oh. Well, let's, let's take our final break of the day if we can, Hank, and we come back. Let's talk about this newest book. Uh, it's an intriguing book, pop music legends about the business of music, some history, uh, I love the way you organized it, uh, and there's a, obviously a lot of great quotes from some of our favorite entertainers, musicians, so yeah. ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our final break of the day. Hope you'll stay with us, and we'll be right back with you. You're listening to the Weekly Business Hour, I'm Rick Schistler, I'm your host. Today we're having, uh, I think, a very germane on point conversation with our very special guest, Mr. Hank Moore. But before we get into our final segment, I want to remind you that if you have a question, uh, an observation, if you have a personal business challenge and you want some feedback, please send me an email. Just send it right here to the station, rick, R-I-C-K, at IRLoneStar.com. That's rick at IRLoneStar.com. If you're a regular listener, you know we take some of the questions that come in about businesses uh, and we put them on the air in a mailbag segment. So it could be that whatever you send us may end up being out there with a good answer, I hope a good answer, on the air. So please send us your emails, rick at IRLoneStar.com. Well, Hank, uh, new book. Uh, you're one of the most prolific authors that I personally have ever known. Uh, and this one about pop music, obviously something near and dear to your heart, yeah. your passion, because of your long background and your early, early part of your career uh, as a DJ. You had some unique opportunities, and obviously yeah. you seized on them. And uh, you met a lot of interesting people along the way. So tell us a little bit in general what the book's all about.
1: Well, you know, m- mu- the music industry, as I said in the last segment, uh, is one of the top 10 business sectors. I believe that if business were, in general, was could learn some lessons. Uh, there's not a chapter in this book about how to how the business, the music industry, runs itself. That's in the next one. It's too much material for one book. This only covers the 20th century. We still got the 21st century to deal with, plus the music of jazz, Broadway, uh, Hollywood, and, and all kinds of stuff that's coming. But what, what I learned about music, uh, just, just some of the short versions, uh, when I first started and I was working in radio, the first star I ever met was Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. And he was 23 at the time I was 10, and Lady Bird Johnson owned the radio station and put me to work. And then uh, he came. One day I was sitting there running the board. It's this great big Collins board with 16-inch turntables and archaic old equipment. Uh, It was new at the time, and I. You were
0: engineering the program.
1: Well, I was running the board. I mean that's what DJs did. They called you announcers, but you were running the board. You didn't have an engineer.
0: So you were doing it all. You right? were doing it all in all the, hats, right. In
1: those days and then it <laughs> went more compact and digital over the years. But anyway,'m I'm, I'm doing that and the door flings open and in walks this Army uniform, and I turned around and I said, uh, I thought, what is an Army soldier? He said, hi, I just thought I'd stop in and do an interview. I thought, what is an Army soldier doing <laughs> doing here to see me? And he sits, sits down, and I looked at his badge, and it said Private Elvis Presley. And, and Elvis was the biggest star in America at the time. I later learned that my boss, Lyndon Johnson, always used to say, well, you always start at the top. So he had arranged for Elvis to come down from Colleen, from where he was doing his basic training at Fort Hood. And he came in, and I asked him all these questions. And one of the questions, I said, well, this rock and roll music is young people's music, new, new music for kids. And he looked at me and he said, well, they won't always be kids. And that, Elvis was not the smartest person in the world, but that was a very profound comment. It was that day that I learned to start keeping track of these comments that people were making and that they found their way into all these other books. Uh, this one is my 14th book. And uh, I've got my business books and then I got my entertainment books. and And then I started meeting other people, you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Frank Sinatra. And Frank Sinatra said to me, well, kid, nobody's number one forever. <laughs> and Kenny Rogers said to me, the, "The you build your best character of how you handle yourself, not when you're at the top, but when you're down and on the way coming back. And he said, you got to learn to be a good has-been. And I, Whoa, Kenny Rogers <laughs> calling himself a has-been? But- but, well, you got to know when to hold and when to fold. All right? of that, <laughs> all of that. And so and then I'd, I'd been working there. Uh, the, the, the next thing that led to this book was I was I came in one day, and it happened to be um, February 3rd, 1959, and I started working in, in March of 1958. And I came in, and my program director, Cactus Pryor, said, well, uh, that guy from West Texas was just killed in a plane crash. And this young people's music needs to be documented. Would you do the first rock and roll oldies show? Because in those days, the music we were playing as golden oldies was big band music from the 30s and 40s. And I had to learn all of that because that was before my time. And uh, so he said, would you start documenting that? And that's how I started writing articles and I started producing documentaries. I produced Probably two or three hundred radio documentaries on music, and several of them were later inducted the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, anyway, as time went on, I realized. I mean, and and, and I remember one time I was at a at, at a business function, standing next to Lee Brown, who was the p- police chief of Houston and later became mayor. And somebody came in and said. Uh, I just found out I'd been inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was about 44 years old. And when you're young and in business, you want to be taken seriously as a business guru. That's why I really, you know, was here on the show today. But but I learned and I was embarrassed to tell people about that music part of my life and because pe- most people only see you one way, they don't see that there's a second or a third dimension. And so, what I what I then started doing as the years went by, number one, I was advising CEOs, including some of the top CEOs in America, Bill Gates, uh, Michael Eisner at Disney, and 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 on and on and on. And I would ask them what were their core values, and they couldn't tell me in business terms and I would start talking music with them and they go oh you know music too I say, yeah there are some people think I know as much about music as I do about business and I would cobble their mission statements and their and their visioning plans from music, and they would start telling me all this music that meant something to them, then I would regurgitate it to them in business terminology. And of the four corporate strateg- 400 strategic plans that I wrote, most of them had some pop culture stuff that guided everything. Now we move up to modern times. I mean, as you know, most of my books... Th- And this one especially is not written for baby boomers and and Silent Generation, and their music is wonderful too, but this is written for generations X and Y, and uh, Generation Y, better known as millennials. You know, all my business books are, they're not written from the standpoint of an old person saying, oh, music was better in my time. It's good in every time. It really is. You know that. And, and you've seen, I've, I have a separate Facebook page dedicated just to music and, and an Instagram page that is blowing and going, and it's had 400 posts. And, and, but what happens is younger people are so barraged with music of all areas that they're the experts on the new music, and everything else. You know, there's a chapter in this book, there's 37 chapters. There's there's chapters on each decade beginning with the turn of the invention of recording by Thomas Edison, moves up through the big band era, the uh, hit parade era of the early 50s, which is when I started listening to music and watching it. On TV. And then it moves up through the, the, the 50s rock and roll era, the 60s pop era, the 60s rock and roll era, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And each decade was an amalgamation some of the key things from a business standpoint that i submit about about the book not only is it fun and entertaining but if businesses could learn more from the entertainment industry some of the key lessons are you change music styles once a year whether you want to or not the more often that you change them and update your your business model you get to where you look forward to changing it you know there's nothing more permanent than change uh, and change as a way of replicating itself. My friend Sonny Bono wrote a song on that subject called The Beat Goes On. That's what it's about, you know. And, uh, you know, and it wasn't just a hit song in 1967. It's a mantra for the music industry moving forward, you know. That's why he and Cher pictured in the book with me and all that stuff. I guess from the one standpoint, people go, you really knew all these people. You must be really old. Well, you know, I, I, yes, I am. But I never. I, fortunately, for I look pretty much the same that I looked in all those other pictures. And some people don't know that some of those pictures are forty years ago. But, uh, but it's. But the music stays. It keeps growing and growing. Uh, young people are like. They're they're taking all this in and loving it. You can't turn on the TV any given day and hear a TV commercial without hearing all these Golden Oldies. Why are there so many? Is it to to cater to those old baby boomers sitting at home watching TV? No. The accountants, going back to the accountants that we talked about in Hollywood, uh, found that it's cheaper to license known recordings and use them in their jingles rather than to hire third rate jingle composers and ad agencies to write new material that you can adapt it. And people love it. And people then go out and reorder all these songs, you know, and you know, one of the one of the top records that people are downstreaming right now is a song from nineteen eighty three called Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder who was a one-hit wonder. And because it's on the current Starbucks commercial, everybody's wanting to to ride it in their car and sing Break My Stride. It, it goes on and on and on. And, and uh, it's so nice to watch it and to share that we were all young once. We had our music when we were young. But even when we were young, as, as for me, I went out and learned all that music from 1920s, 30s, and 40s. When I wrote that book, my two COVID projects were Big Picture Business Book 4 to wrap up that series and this book. And and the, one of the chapters from this book, I stuck in Big Picture Business. What a lot of people don't know about my books is each one has an homage to the next one right. in it. And uh, there's a chapter in Big Picture Book 4 on the repackaging. Most people would be surprised to know that 43% of every uh, song downloaded, every every record sold is an oldie. There's that much in the system that remarkets the old product to newer, younger audiences, and they love it, and we love that they love it. So that's that's the the the, the future of music. Uh, is is it like it was in past decades? Not exactly, but the best elements are there, and it'll move on.
0: And I will tell you, though, that nothing will ever match, in my opinion, the, the, the golden oldies, whatever you want to call that, that, that time in music, and even the young people enjoy that music. 43% of the downloads doesn't surprise me at all. Well, no. Hank, we've about run out of time today. As always, we could talk for hours. It's always enlightening and interesting. I assume that your newest book is available on Amazon and bookstores. Uh, yeah. Where should people look for it?
1: Uh, Well, they can order it for me. You know, they can uh, send me an email at hmoore at silverfox.org. I have other email addresses, too, or hankmoore4218 at spcglobal.net And uh, people can get them for me signed. I mean, a lot of people do that. You know, they don't want to book it. Yeah, the other sources are out there, you know, uh, um, uh, another Harvard Business School statistic, 97% of the people that tell you they're going to Amazon. Don't read books. (laughs) Another subject: uh, corporate uh, workplace literacy. But but no, they can. You can order it online, or you can get a signed copy from the author.
0: Well, that shoot a signed copy. Why not order it direct? (laughs) Makes a lot of business sense, right? Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank each and every one of you is listening currently, or will listen to this video podcast, for being part of the weekly business hour and as I try to encourage people every day when I'm out in the world, is pay attention what is most important to your business. And until next week, I hope you prosper and success finds its way to your front door. Thanks. Listen in Mondays at noon to hear